Got time for a quick story? You know someone's a really good singer when they're described as having a voice that could sing the most banal text and bring out character, a feeling, some sense of spirit. One of the classic lines is, person could sing the phone book and make it sound good. And I remember hearing that described about Paul Carrick's voice. It was in, I believe, a documentary or a news story about 1991. I heard that. And it stuck with me. And I'd heard Paul Carrick's voice before and knew it as a very good voice. But hearing it described in that context, you go, yeah, it, it is that awesome of a voice. Paul Carrick has that great of a singing voice for the music that he sings. That voice is still going strong all these years later. And even in the midst of all things pandemic-related here in 2020, he's got multiple projects happening. And I get the chance to talk to Paul Carrick in this latest interview. There is a lot going on. There is the recent release yeah. of the of the kind of live album, and then, of course, the live event, which happened, but for those of us watching, will be live coming up on on Thursday or Friday in Australia. So another side of Paul Carrick with the SWR Big Band and Strings. And Paul yeah. Carrick and band, the 2020 World Tour, the one-night global streaming event. But before we get into any of that, the uh, turn up for recovery video, and I and actually go. I'll ask more about the process of that, how you got into that later on. But my, my biggest question is about Sheffield Wednesday, <laughs> because I saw okay. that in, in the background of of the video, and I saw the little bit of Wednesday, and went, okay, yeah, 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 that makes sense because he's from Sheffield, and looked a little closer, mm-hmm. and lo and behold, sir, would it be safe to say you're a Sheffield Wednesday fan? Yeah, for my sins, um, <laughs> I'm afraid so. Uh, they got me very early on, and uh, I'm afraid to say it became a, a lifelong addiction. Uh, that sadly I've passed on to my um, sons and uh, even grandson. I, but I I begged them not to do it to my grandson, but they've gone and done it to him, and he's he's in there. So uh, it's um, it's character building though for them, you know, <laughs> because you know it. It teaches them how to deal with, you know, disappointment and misery and that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. It's a good, good, good thing for life, I think, you know. Yeah, that's that, there's there's some of us that are, are fans of assorted teams. I happen to be a big Minnesota Vikings fan for the mm-hmm. NFL here in the States, and I don't know why I chose that. It's kind of the same thing. It's constant misery, but you stick with them yeah. and that slight chance that maybe something will work out and... I don't know if my if any future offspring yeah. will become Viking fans, but there's part of me that hopes not. But then part of yeah. me that hopes so, so they can kind of you know have some company. I guess. But, but it's the hope that kills you, really. Oh That's yeah. The thing. Oh yeah. yeah. Every year, there's that slight chance, and then it get the rug gets pulled out from you. But I, yeah. I, I'd be, be nice to see Sheffield Wednesday get back up at the Premier League at some point. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Well, happen. unfortunately, I mean, since we dropped out of the uh, league, what, whatever year that was, it's about. Probably about twenty years, I think. Um, the chasm between the next 
division down, the division we're in. It's called a championship. <laughs> and, and, and it wasn't that massive a gap before. Well, it was a gap, but now it's huge. You know, it is a chasm. And uh, the, the, the sad thing is that um, you're a sports station, aren't you? So you we, don't mind me talking about sports. We well, actually, I work on a I, well, I work on a sports station. That this is this is a music station, but I work on a sports station. And I mean, we're in the place where I'm at. Actually, the, the, it's Green Bay Packer territory, so like everyone knows about sports. So yeah, go for it. That's oh, okay. totally fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, for anybody that might be remotely interested in English soccer, I mean, uh, where was I? I was sort of describing the uh, discrepancy between the championship and the Premier League. And the Premier League has all the money. They get all the TV money. It's ridiculous, the, the money, actually. You know, the players are on ridiculous salaries and all the rest of it. And so it's the holy grail that the clubs in the championship are breaking their neck to get into the Premier League and most of them getting into colossal debt. And um, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, for, for, for the next half hour, maybe distract me we'll talk about music (laughs) i will i will do my best to do that and there's the the good thing is there's plenty to cover and actually i'll I'll kind of segue via soccer back to the music one of the teams that did manage to make the leap was leeds united to the premier league which leads to leeds which is where the thursday broadcast is Taped, I should say, or however the, the right. proper terminology is now. It is not literally to tape, but, right. but we know what it, what it is. So why Victoria Hall? Why was that chosen as the venue for, for the performance? Well, it's not because it's in Leeds, let me tell you, because they are, they, they are our sort of second biggest rivals. <laughs> Going back to soccer for a second. Right. Um there's two clubs in Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United, mm-hmm. and then there's Leeds who are up the road, and we, we all hate Leeds. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. So, yeah, Leeds, beautiful venue, actually, um, which is the main reason we chose it to, to do this filming, because it looks great. It, it's an old Victorian um, building with a fantastic architecture so it looks pretty spectacular and that will help if the music's not happening probably you know we can look mm-hmm. at the, the nice architecture but um and they were able to accommodate us because you know a lot of theaters are mothballed at the moment so we we wanted to take our whole um touring setup into a theater to film it because uh, i i haven't done too much of the online from your living room sort of on your iPhone stuff. Um, and we, we wanted to show ourselves in our, cause we, we, he had done, um, we started a tour in January. We'd done almost 30 shows in the UK and we play kind of theaters, you know, mm-hmm. maybe a thousand, 1500 seats, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, we were looking forward to going to places like Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, Australia, Japan. And um, we wanted to show people, you know, what they were missing in a, in a way, you know. How did you get the idea specifically to go, okay, let, like, let's do this, like do our whole set here, having seen uh, there are other bands that have been doing like these one-off concerts too. You mentioned mm. the at-home 
huge. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's everywhere. But there have been some of these, like, let's have, like, a one-night concert, like, here in the States. Like, the Garth Brooks one was probably one of the first examples, and they had, like, drive-in performances around here. Yeah. Was that was kind of the inspiration of, hey, we can do this in a different way and try to put on a, a full-on video, but still give the live, like, almost in person charge the tickets because it's going to be that good, that kind of idea? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, um, and, it, you know, for us, it, it's not cheap to do this, you know, it, 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 to, to get the venue, to get the whole crew together, the uh, musicians, the proper streaming facility. Um, so, yeah, it just seemed like, A, A we wanted to film the thing, um, show people what we were doing this tour. The tour was going great, you know, and um, we would have probably recorded a show and filmed the show at some point anyway for, you know, archive or for Blu-ray or something like that. But um, with this situation, we were shut down in mid-March and um, we thought we would be in pretty cute because we rescheduled a lot of stuff for August, September. And then it obviously became apparent that wasn't going to happen. And then we were scratching our heads thinking, what can we do? Um, you know, we've got uh, my, my band chomping at the bit, you know, wanting to do something. I was kind of all been okay because I've got a little studio at home. That's where I am right now. So I've been busy uh, doing new stuff and doing a couple of things remotely. Um, but we wanted to do something to keep everybody motivated. And, um, if we could cover our costs, that'd be fantastic. So, um, that remains to be seen, <laughs> but, um, and just thinking that it may be hopefully not the full picture that for the future, but for the foreseeable future it's probably going to be another aspect that we need to try and embrace, you know? to be honest. It's your band members uh, on, on tour, so there's a certain amount of familiarity, chemistry, and uh, oh, yeah. understanding of the music, but how much did all of you have to kind of keep the juices flowing a little bit so you could go back for a one-off? How much rehearsing did you have to do, or was it kind of like, well, we were doing this a half a year ago, we can get back on stage with little work. How did that go? Yeah, it's kind of like that. There wasn't any rehearsing. Not together. Um I've had this, I've done a lot of things over the last 20 years, but I started my own little label and I formed this band of guys. Of None of them were uh, famous names or anything. They were all from my hometown of Sheffield and they're all good players and they love this gig. And for, we're quite used to sort of doing a tour. Then I go off and do my things. I've been playing keyboards in Eric Clapton's band, for example. And um, it's it's not unusual for there to be a couple of months and then we just get back together and it's it's kind of all in there, but it's fresh. Uh, so this was a bit longer of a gap, you know, some, it was getting on for six months. Everybody got bought into the idea. Everybody um, listened to the tapes of the last gig we did and did their rehearsing at home. And... I initially we thought we would take this venue for two days and take our time doing it 
it just wasn't cost effective. And so we decided we're going to do it in one day. So the crew got there early. They set up. We arrived late morning. We did a sound check. And then we played our set. And that was it. And you know what? It was great. <laughs> um, everybody said, you know, it's going to be weird, no audience and everything. And it was a bit surreal. But um, it was just so great to be back, you know, to be playing together um we loved it to be honest with you is there anything in fact we're thinking of uh, banning the audience <laughs> for the future tours <laughs> no but no it was great we were relaxed it was fresh um we didn't have to worry about necessarily about you know entertaining or anything we would because first and foremost we're musicians and we don't have a there's no bull in our in our show you know we just play our music and um so it was great it was fantastic is there anything particularly special about this that viewers are going to see compared to other performances of you and the band live or is this pretty much or is victoria hall really the the selling point on this one no i mean it, it is a it is a good venue it's our up-to-date uh set that we've been you know, we started this tour that should have taken us all over the world. Um, on on the level we are at, as an as I say, as an independent artist, it's good. We kind of punch above our weight anyway on the circuit we're on, the theatre in the UK, and it's a good show. You know, good lighting. And um, is there anything special about that? It's just that each year. We try to make the show a little bit better in terms of production. Um, the the repertoire is kind of, we've got a number of songs that we always do that are, you know, ones I've been associated with are hits, if you like. <laughs> but we also are putting out new stuff all the time. So it's, it's evolving all the time, but... Uh, no, I think it's just the fact that it people wanted to come and see us. They had tickets that, and we couldn't do it, so we're bringing the show to them. And I think a lot of people are looking forward to it. You know, I've been asking a variation of this question to other artists over the past half year of the pandemic of how are musicians adjusting to not being able to perform live? How do you, how are your creative juices flowing? Some people are writing, some have done the at-home performances, but then also concerned about being able to perform live and having that industry still hold. And by industry, I mean right down to the clubs. We're not talking like Live Nation, the big ones, but but everything. In the UK, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think at this moment, what, the, the case slows, increasing again, this kind of another wave is coming up. I could be wrong on that, but I think I've heard some element of that. But regardless... How are fellow musicians adjusting at this point now, half year plus into this pandemic? I think it's very tough. It's very tough because we were the first ones to get locked down. We were the, we'll probably be the last ones to get back, you know, the venues and and such. Um, for myself, it's not been too bad because, you know, I mean, I'm okay. And as I say, I've got my place I can work. And I haven't over the last few years, because there's been so much time on the road with various things, haven't had as much time as I would like 
to mess around in here without a sort of time type pressure, you know. Um, so I, I, I live in a fairly nice part of town. I, I've had garden, so not too bad. And I've got a bit of, you know, I've got a bit of money in the uh, comes in every, a bit of mailbox money comes in every now and again, but for, um, for, you know, musicians as a whole, it's tough because, um, to be honest, playing live has kind of been is the bread and butter these days or was, you know, and it was thriving. People were coming to concerts, you know, it was mm -hmm. the live scene was, was happening. So, um, there's not been a lot of help for musicians, to be honest. Um, you know, a lot of people in uh, regular jobs have been helped to some extent by the government and, and stuff. I don't want to get political about it at all. I mean, uh, musicians, we're used to fending for ourselves and <laughs> famine and feast and all that sort of stuff. So I, I don't want to get into that. But it's it's tough. I mean... The guys who work with me, when 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 I'm on the road, I pay them well, and um, and then when I'm off doing other stuff, they have their little their other little gigs, and but there's nothing there, nothing, hmm. because all the uh, uh, yeah everything is closed right. from that point of view. So from the creative standpoint, uh, mm. what sort of what creative juices are flowing right now for you in terms of coming up with? New, newer materials. Is there any sort of influence? Does society come into any influence at all? What's happening surrounding? What, what, what's happening right now as far as your songwriting and creation goes? Same stuff as as ever, really. I just mess around. Um, lyrically, I kind of just free form and then something sticks and I piece it together somehow. But, you know, I'm not I'm not an intellectual. I'm not a reader. I'm not political when it comes to the music. I'm interested in politics and all the when what's going on is blowing my mind actually. But uh, <laughs> I probably should pay less attention, I think, than I do. I might sleep better, but um, you know, I. I, I you know, I'm not. I don't sit around waiting for divine inspiration. Anyway, I just come in and have fun with my toys. You know, <laughs> and I play a bit of everything. And um, I think some of the things when I listen back, you know, there's a few things that are influenced by the lockdown thing. I mean, in my personally, we had a. I was worried about my my kids. I've got four grown up kids living in around London. And in, in, initially, I was very concerned. Oh, my God, people are going out, panic buying. We're all going to die. What's going to happen? Um, then it calmed down a bit. And um, that's when I got in here and started playing. And I found it very, very th therapeutic. So, um, but I'm very pleased with uh, the stuff I'm, I'm coming up with. It's sounding good. Do you think it's yeah, going to so. do you think it's going to make up like a an album or an EP or do oh, you yeah. start doing like a like a single here or there at some point? No, I just start messing around as I say, but um no, it will be an album. Um you know, I ideally it was it would come out was basic plan was it would come out in the new year 
when we started touring again but who knows what's going to happen there but yeah no there'll be an album of um you know my normal kind of stuff and whatever it, you call it pop <laughs> and uh, i've also been making a, an album remotely a second album with the swr big band which i think is going to be really great better than the one dare i say that that's just come out. Another. Okay, that that's good to hear. And I'll, I'm, I'm going to get to that actually just a bit. That's fascinating to know about this 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 other other album. I am curious when you write and, and being a multi instrumentalist, is there one instrument or another where you tend to prefer to start writing? Uh, and also, is it more music or lyrics that tend to come to you first? How does the songwriting process work for you? very very rarely write a lyric first or i mean that's the sensible way to do it is to think of a title or an idea and then put some music to it that's the that's the sensible way of going i very rarely go that way i usually come in i just start jamming with you know um the keyboard and stuff as i say i kind of free form and i kind of take a little idea and develop it and I'll sing something that sounds good or, and then I just try to make sense out of it. And sometimes it's quite quick. Other times it's the lyrics uh, I find are, are harder. As I say, I'm not a reader or, um, or a thinker, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I can get there in the end, but, um, I, I, I probably never had an original thought in my life, but, uh, a lot of my stuff is borderline cl cliched anyway, but hopefully you can just it with the twist it a little bit and make it, you know, not too offensive. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why uh, I occasionally write with a particularly uh, Chris Difford from uh, Squeeze, right. who is predominantly a lyricist. And, and that is so easy and quick <laughs> because he'd just give me a, a, a piece of paper and um but his stuff doesn't always translate because his stuff is kind of quirky and um mm -hmm. which is great and it's always good to have a couple of chris lyrics on there just to break up my moon in june <laughs> lovey-dovey stuff you know so um that's always good but it doesn't always sing as good as it looks on paper and uh, to me the sound of the words are quite important as well and how nice they are to sing you know can make a big difference i think there's going to be a, another song or two with with chris that'll appear on the next project well we haven't so far we've spoken a couple of times and he's promised to send me a couple of things and i've promised to send him some ideas but um obviously we haven't been able to get together i know he's he's been doing some stuff online sort of getting people in and chatting and that sort of stuff but um well we'll see because there's still gonna there's still a bit of time so we, maybe we'll come up with something cool you mentioned swr of course the swr big band and strings and that's the that was the project that's out and now this this third project you're doing with them after the christmas one going back a decade and now and now these two okay so first off for those that aren't familiar, SWR, that's a public broadcasting organization, southwestern Germany, and they've had this longstanding big band. It goes back, what, to what, the early 50s, I believe? I think it does, yeah. 
How yeah. how did you get hooked up with them in the first place for the Christmas project? They just called me up. Um, I didn't know anything. I didn't know them from Adam. Um, they just called me up and said, uh, we're going to make a Christmas album, you know, the in the big band style, the usual kind of suspects. Um, would you want to sing on it? And I said, yeah, thinking they meant one or two tracks. Um, but it became apparent they were happy for me to sing the, the whole album. So I'd never done anything like that before. I went over to Stuttgart and um, we made an album in a couple of days. And um, I really enjoyed it. I, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to hack it. You know, I'm, I'm an old rock and roller, you know, self-taught musician. Um, but they're nice guys, which is, helps because sometimes the, the jazzers can be a little bit uh, sniffy you know, <laughs> to us rock and rollers, but they're not. They're great. They're, they're nice guys. And um, so we made that album. Of course, it got a little bit of support because they're affiliated to the radio station over there. And um, we did some concerts and we've done concerts every year since then at Christmas time. I go over do just a few concerts and I've, I think I've got better at it, you know, fronting <laughs> that, that big band. And um, then I think last last year they said, well, how about doing something a little bit different, you know, Um they got the opportunity to do a series of um, TV specials and they invited me over to do um, a, a TV special as a guest vocalist. And um, we kicked around some repertoire and uh, put it together. They came up with some arrangements, gave me a clue what it was going to be like. And then, um, I literally just flew over to Stuttgart into their big, lovely studio they got over there, TV studio. Mm -hmm. And over over three days, I think it was, two and a half days anyway, really, we um, recorded this TV special live. And, you know, with a 33-piece band, because they had like the big band here, string section on the other side, rhythm section in the front, and I'm stood in the middle. So it has to be live because the whole band is coming down the vocal mic. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, and, and, and I was winging it. <laughs> and uh, I think it has some really good moments. If it had been in a controlled studio type environment, I might have uh, honed in on some of the vocals a, a little more, but it, it's what it is. It's live. And... Um, I think it really has some good moments. Well, and it's the sort of thing when I, when I listen to it, I go, okay, this sounds like it's a studio recording. Like it's it's all planned that way. There's only like a couple times listening to the audio of it where I even hear something like, okay, it sounds like the microphone's a little bit like a little directional or something. And just like once or twice, everything else sounds like, oh, this must, like to the, if someone didn't know, I think they would probably presume, oh, they must have rehearsed this a bunch, and this was like take 16. or That's the impression I, I have to imagine most people listening gather from that. Um, so th there's definitely a sense of professionalism. At least that's my takeaway from listening to the album. Oh, they're, they're super professional. You know, they, they are fantastic. I mean, they're German for a start. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
no, they're they're really really good. You just they just give them the music and away they go. I think we probably most we ever did of any one song would three takes maybe mm. on the whole, possibly two. You know, possibly a run through and then we did it and that was it. But no, they are very very good. I mean, they've had all kinds of Grammy awards and everything. Right. You know, I. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I don't know. I was just going to say it. I, I, the the band are absolutely on point. Mm-hmm. It's only from my own personal insecure insecurity that I think, oh, I could have done that better. <laughs> but uh, as I say, it, it's it's what it is. And the other album that we've been working on has been, as I say, in a more controlled st- studio environment, albeit remotely, that they would record that I, I really think I have nailed some really good vocals on that one. So. What is, if you're allowed to say, what's the direction on this? What's the music, the content on it, this one? Well, the idea was to go a little bit, because um, this has all been new to me, the repertoire has all, all been new. I mean, we've done Frank Sinatra songs. Oh, I, I didn't know anything about I've got to know him, got to know the, the Sinatra-type music, but I never got it when I was a kid. You know, or it was, you know, but um, and I think that's helpful in a way because when we do a Sinatra tune, I'm not trying to do a a Frank. <laughs> you know, it's not a what they call it a pastiche or something. It's just me singing the Frank Sinatra song with a big band and trying to find my way through it. You mm-hmm. know, around it. So we've done all kinds of repertoire, and sometimes I think. Really? Okay. Well, but I'm game for anything, you know. Um, But uh, on the one we've currently been working on and that will come out next year sometime, it's a little bit more bluesy, a little bit more what we used to call rhythm and blues. I don't know what they call it nowadays, but, you know, we've done a couple of uh, Bobby Bland songs, some Ray Charles, um, just generally a bit simpler probably because um a lot of those uh, big band arrangements are pretty tricky um but this is a bit kind of simpler that was the idea mm-hmm. we've done things like a couple of uh, etta james songs and um yeah i think it's going to be i think it's going to be really good yeah i noticed there was a good number of ray charles tunes on the album that came out songs that or he either he had done them or such, but there's, what was it? Three or four. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, as I'm going through, I'm like, Oh, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one on there. Is that, is that more your end? Cause I know you've delved into that, into that before. Is that more your desire to have those? Is it on their end? Is it mutual for that? Well, I, I'm probably more comfortable in that neck of the woods. I mean, I, I did love, uh, well, still do love, Ray Charles, uh, my my elder brother, four years older than me, kind of introduced me to him at a fairly early age, and I've I've always really loved him. And a track like "Sticks and Stones" is is pretty basic, and um, I'm, that's not going too far off the beaten track, you know. Um, whereas "Danny Boy," <laughs> you know, right? But, um, but no, I mean, as I said, I'm a bit easy i'll try anything mm-hmm. and uh, so if they say how about this i'll say okay <laughs> i mean it's a little bit passive 
I'm trying to enjoy myself, my music. I'm not trying to, it's too late to kind of worry about how it's perceived, you know, as I'm just want to enjoy music and, um, and grow even at this late stage, um, as a musician and I'll try, I will try anything. <laughs> if you could only sing one song the rest of your life, what would it be? We love you Wednesday. We do. <laughs> we love you Wednesday. We do. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that because I do write and I try to put out new stuff all the time. But to be honest, I could probably live without writing. Hmm. I'd probably be quite happy to sing How Long for the rest of my days because every time you sing, I never get fed up with a song. You know, you can always find something in there. I mean, I know for a lot of artists, you know, when they record a song and they get the quintessential version and that's it. And it never, you know, that's, it doesn't need to get any better. That For me, I, I, you know, I'm always without going mad, without taking the liberties with a song, it's always possible to just find subtle nuances of phrasing or, um, or what have you. And, um, so song, a song is kind of a vehicle in a way. But. Mm -hmm. um, on the point about how long, and I was thinking about this listening to the to the SWR uh, version of that, and you're you're in in a broad sense the the phrasing the style, and of course it's in the same key as the original recording. Yeah, it's largely the same. Sometimes, at least from to my ear, sometimes an artist will they'll do a different version of a song, and then they keep doing that over. And over again, I've heard that sometimes, like with with Phil Collins, some of his some of his live versions he's done with Genesis or solo, like started doing it live differently, and has done that ever since for decades. Compared to the studio recording, in the case of how long it's relatively close to the original. Is there any like as over the course of decades of performing that song, is there anything you found you wanted to kind of? modify in it, even down to the subtleties that maybe most listeners wouldn't pick up, but you know, okay, this is different from when we cut this in the studio with Ace compared to how I'm doing this over the years. I think I've had my mileage out of that song <laughs> in a way. Right. Um, actually, funnily enough, we did do a, a quite an unusual version. It's never been released. Um, but... Um, we did a string session uh, for the, the last studio album I did. Uh, it was called These Days. And um, we added uh, strings onto some of the tracks. Um, with uh, They were arranged by a guy called Richard Niles, who uh, American guy. Uh, and um, he said, I really would like to do a version of How Long. And he's done it. So we did it just strings, though nothing else mm -hmm. so it's you know wow it's a yeah it's quite adventurous i'm not sure if i like it or not but um it, it hasn't been released it it might be at some point but um no i th i mean it's a very simple song 
there's nothing to it. I'm amazed it's endured uh, as long as it has. I mean, it basically got that hook. Mm-hmm. And um, the verse is very simple. But, you know, you just got room to, as I say, just to improvise a little without going too far mm-hmm. off the beaten track. I've, I've always been, um, like, the, the thing that I always home, home in on on that, is the chord right before the chorus, right? That that one where it just kind of goes off a bit, and I'd find myself trying to play that, which, I mean, now you can find all sorts of demos everywhere, but I'd be like, okay, what does that go to? And for me, it almost seemed a little progressive for its time. Like, it, it seemed to be the sort of chord progression I would hear in pop music, straight-up pop music here in America, a lot in the late 70s, early 80s. I thought, this this song for I'd go look back and go, that's 75? Really? Oh, that's, that's, it doesn't sound of its time. It's a subtle thing. That one chord, I, I, maybe I'm over-reading that, but... but You are. I, I, Grant, I clearly am. It's but, a B minor. Right, that's it. That's all. Or a B minor 7. Yeah, that's only because we didn't know how to play a diminished <laughs> chord, which it probably should have been, really, if mm-hmm. we'd have known how. I mean, seriously, back then, you know... Um. I was pretty, um, I mean, as I say, self-taught musician, like Mm -hmm. most rock and rollers, I'm teaching myself piano. And when I, for for example, just the chords on the verse, which are very simple, as you know, you got your B flat bass and you play an A flat chord to Mm -hmm. a B flat chord and keep the pedaling on the B flat bass. Now, I thought I'd invented that chord right there, you know, so... um, (laughs) So, but then we the, the passing chord you're talking about is is a B minor, and as I say, if we'd have known what a diminished chord was, it would have probably been some sort of diminished chord. I don't know. Huh. Fascinating how that how how that all, all goes, and it, it, yeah, and and I, I do remember when I like I try to get it, I'm like, oh, this actually is fairly simple, but to try to read that, that's that's the trick to 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 to, to do it by ear. But I think that goes, it, it's a small part of why that song I think endures. I, I mean, a lot of it's. Just the sentiment, the flow, the melody. It, it lasts 45 years on. You've had... Amazing. Yeah. You've had... I mean, it depends on what one defines as songs that are sort of in the pop music canon, but it's rare to be involved with multiple acts and have those. I mean, the probably tempted living years, et cetera, et cetera. With all the songs you did, I'm going to home in on Mike and the Mechanics... Um, being somewhat of a Mike and the Mechanics fan because I know a good amount of Genesis, is there, um, what would you say is the most underrated Mike and the Mechanics song you performed or sang on? Ooh. Um, I really don't know. Uh, to be honest, you put me on the spot there. <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever asked that question. Um, the, I'm just thinking, there's a song called Time and Place. Mm-hmm. I forget which album it was on. It was that's a pretty nice song, um, but um, going back to how long for a second, mm-hmm. which uh, that record didn't turn out anything like I had imagined it when I wrote the song. Really? Yeah, because I I imagined it as a Motown uh, song, you know, like a "Reach Out, I'll Be There" or something, stomping, you know. But, um, you know, we were just old hippies, basically. So it, it just turned, had that, turned out to have that mellow thing. 
that mellow mellow groove. Anyway, sorry, I digress. That's and you okay. want to talk about Mike and the mechanics? No, that, that that's that's quite all right. Um, but that yeah, but that's that's I mean, there's plenty of good material, and I've had Beggar on a Beach of Gold. That album kind of stuck in my head mentally since I got this this set up and and bouncing through mm. the bouncing through the songs and that and like another, yeah, that's a good song. Yeah, that, that's B. A. Robertson, who uh, co-wrote a lot of songs with Mike. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's a solid one. Another cup of coffee, and of course, over my shoulder, etc. Et my uh, sort of manager pro- producer pal mm-hmm. um, hates another cup of coffee. Really? Yeah. Really? And, and yeah, it's weird. I don't know why he doesn't like it. It's, it's almost like I'm starting to think: Is this just a thing now? It's just a riff that he's because uh, it's very popular. Uh huh. We hardly ever play it because I know he's sitting in the audience going, <laughs> but I, I don't know why. I don't know why, because it's very popular, as you say. Right. I know. It, it seems to fit right down the middle with, with, with that style of music that, that the group was doing, at least as, as a listener. Well, I think what it, what they were trying to do with that and with the uh, song like Over My Shoulder, which I don't think was much of a hit in America, but mm-hmm. it was a big hit in uh, cross Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, because when Mike and the Mechanics sort of got together, it was that very sort of synth pop, and obviously with a uh, you had the uh, Genesis connection, but with a very pop producer Chris Neal. But it had that kind of still had that kind of progressive type of sound, although the music was pretty basic. Mm-hmm. And some people might have thought it was a little too pompous or whatever, but the um with things like over my shoulder another cup of coffee it was trying to bring it back in to a simple you know mm-hmm. guitar guitar based drums kind of sound right and i think that's what that was about yeah i think the album worked well yeah i, I remember being a little underwhelmed by the american reaction at that point i you know it just tastes evolved but then i noticed it was going bigger overseas like okay well good and when mm-hmm. the one time i was in the uk Back in 2000, that was my one chance to get a couple Mac and the Mechanics CDs because you couldn't get them in the U.S. anymore. Really? But, but you could get them over in London, and that's where I picked yeah. up, uh, I think, well, I can't remember exactly which ones, but uh, like Rewired or whatever it was around that time. Well, I can get them here. This is, of course, pre-streaming era. To yeah. to conclude, we'll go. We'll start with where we, or we'll conclude with how we started, and that's Turn Up for Recovery. And okay. the video that came out uh, was posted September 19th or something like that. Um, you and your son, Jack, performing a few songs. He on drums, you on keyboard, and it's just those two parts, which it's, it's remarkable mm-hmm. how two instruments can fill out so much sound. I'd have to remind myself, yeah, that's, that's only two. There's nothing else in there. Um, how did you get involved with this project? Well, going about the sound, I mean, it's funny because often, as they say, less is more. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, and it's funny when you sometimes when you keep piling stuff on there, uh, it gets too dense, you know, and the sound gets smaller. Yeah, uh, it's funny. It's- um, but with with something like that, you just got a simple drum beat, a keyboard and the voice taking up plenty of space, you know, um, so often it's often it works. So how did I get to know about it? Was that the question? Sorry. Yeah. How did you get to, to do the 12 minutes worth of uh, music for that? Well, as I said, as I said, I, I mean, I've been playing in Eric Clapton's band for I don't know six or seven years mm-hmm. now. Um, I've played on a few of his albums prior to that, but then he, eventually, uh, I think somebody dropped out, and he he called me up and asked asked me if I fancied 
you know, um, going on tour. And it was probably his last kind of world tour, arena type tour. And uh, so I've been involved ever since with that. And of course, the crossroads uh, thing that we do every year, mm-hmm. you know, his crossroads charity with the uh, uh, clinic in uh, Antigua. And um, his wife, Malia, um, started a sort of side project called Turn Up for Recovery. And I think the idea initially was that to put on gigs, all smaller gigs all around the country and uh, localized and do it that way. And um, then, unfortunately, you know, with the with the virus and everything, that put the kibosh, mm-hmm. as we say, uh, on, on on all of that. So they decided that they would uh, they were asked artists to, you know, do a little thing at home. So people started doing the the low key mm-hmm. little acoustic things at home, and then it seems to have gradually. Uh, initially, I did one at the beginning of it. I did a, a piano vocal of "Love Will Keep Us Alive," a song called that, and then they asked me to. Um, do uh, something else where they'd have a featured artist. So could I do three tunes? And and I got Jack, my son Jack, to play drums, and we did the three tunes. But so that's all. Oh, and then, it, like I said, it's a good performance, and it's a good little taste Thank there. You. There's a. I mean, it, it was it was the hottest day of the year, it was, <laughs> and we were all. It had been hot for a week, which we just don't handle very well in the UK, and so we're very sort of laid back, shall we say? <laughs> and it's a very sort of. Uh, I did wonder. I thought, is this going to be too? Uh, this is not really rock and roll. Is this going to work for them anyway? They liked it, and I, I don't know. I haven't seen because I'm not a big fan of watching myself, so I don't know how it's been accepted. But I think it's gone down okay. It did definitely sounded that way. I can, can tell you that much for sure. Well, there's a whole lot more to watch again coming up on Thursday, and a whole lot of time zones. And it said like 8:30 Eastern, 8:30 Pacific in America. So, like, say someone's watching it here in the central part of the U.S. Central Time Zone. Would that be? Is that still going to be eight thirty or is it seven thirty? How does that adjust on for those? No, it's going to be. We, we were only allowed five time zones, and the idea was that it would be eight thirty in each time zone. So, okay. if you are on the west coast, it's eight thirty. If you're on the east coast, it's eight thirty. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know what in the middle. I guess you have, you take your choice. Get you like, can watch it. You can watch it whenever you, you know. So what are you guys? Uh, an hour? One hour, and so like here in Wisconsin, that'd be seven thirty p.m. or nine thirty or nine. Yeah, for yeah, do that you around exactly. Can, yeah, so, so yeah. you t- do kind of time shift whatever works best, which is a whole lot of options when everyone wants to watch it. And yeah, so and it's there. It's, it's there for twenty four hours, and I think you can you know eventually. Um, just rewind it or skip forward or it's up there for 24 hours and then it comes down. Okay. Well, so there's a limited amount of time. So anyone watching this, definitely you want to watch that again, go to paulkerrick.net. There's a lot of information of how to get there. And if, if, sorry to, to oh, interrupt, but I just, just want to sort of emphasize because we, we've spoken a lot about the big band record and everything, but this, this is actually, my normal situation with my normal band. Right. This is the set we do on tour. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's got things like living years 
uh, How Long, Tempted, Love Will Keep Us Alive. It's got all those songs uh, are in there and some of my probably more obscure for US listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, no, it would be great because actually looking at um, our numbers, we do have a lot of people listening to our to, to us in the US. Mm-hmm. And people are always saying to me, when are you going to come to the US as a solo artist? It's difficult, but um, and I would love to do that. But so problem is just reaching people and letting them know this is happening and hopefully they'll uh, come on board. At least it's something. So there's that. Of course, the new album, Another Side of Paul Carrick, the SWR, Big Band and Strings. Make sure, stream that, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, lastly, as for as far as the Premier League goes, as an Aston Villa fan myself, I will. Oh. Yeah, I've I, I I jumped on board with that a decade ago when I decided to pick a Premier League team. So speaking of frustration, um, that's been a thing for the last decade. Of hey, great, we're going to get relegated every year, and then it finally happened. Um, mm. I will. I will. As much as a fan can do, hope to beat Leeds United and Sheffield United as much as possible. Thank you. Thank, you. We'll, thank we'll, you, sir. We'll do our best. Paul, thank you so much for taking time today to chat with us about all things music. It's been a lovely, insightful chat. And uh, best of luck with all the other music projects you're working on. And uh, hope to we'll hope to hear more great stuff from you down the road. I hope so, too. Thanks. Thanks for your time. That was a really delightful interview with... Paul Carrick, really cool chat there with him, and also fun talking about soccer. We probably could have gone on way, way longer going into all things soccer-related and almost done a whole podcast episode just on our favorite teams to say nothing of, of course, all the music that Paul Carrick has done and is doing. If you want to learn more about what what he's up to, go to paulcarrick.net. P-A-U-L-C-A-R-R-A-C-K dot net. There's a lot of that website. A lot of of his discography is there. A lot of music videos are there. A lot of interviews, podcasts. There's a whole lot there. Information, of course, about, about the new album with the SWR Big Band and Strings, and a whole lot more, paulcarrick.net. Also get a lot of information via social media as well and follow along there of what Paul Carrick is up to doing. This has been the latest edition of Got Time for a Quick Story. Thanks, as always, to my employer, Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, provides the facilities to do these interviews. You can listen to these interviews. You can actually watch the video version of this at the Greatest Hits 98.1 website. Go to greatesthits981.com. Click on interviews and you'll see it there and literally see it there. And you can watch this interview that we did via Zoom. You can also listen to and watch other interviews that I've done and that my coworker, John Murphy, has done with musicians and celebrities over time, constantly updating interviews there. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast, Got Time for a Quick Story, at a lot of the usual locations. If you have an Android or an Apple device, you can. Go to your podcast app and subscribe there. You can uh, you can subscribe via Spotify or Stitcher, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's a whole lot of ways you can find Got Time for a Quick Story. And also, of course, if you can rate this, rate this higher. Uh, if, if if you so desire, that will spread the word around about this podcast. Got time for a quick story? I'm Luke Anthony.